One day, long ago, Jesus promised that rivers of living water would flow from those who believed in him. Living water moves. It can't be still. It rushes and rises with the tides and is beyond our control. It can feel overwhelming. But the rising tide is exactly where we have been called. And we follow the one to whom all things belong. His finger traced the winding paths of rivers. He calls forth water from the rock, streams flowing down from the mountains. It is rushing, racing, this water that flows from him. This living water flows from us as well to a desperate world. The tide is rising because he has called it to do so, and he is calling us to rise with it. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys today, and I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, at an off-site campus, or uh, maybe you're a part of our global community, uh, we're glad that you are online also. And this morning, it is my privilege to welcome hundreds of churches who are joining us, uh, some of which your pastors are attending or have attended the retreat at Church Creek. And uh, we're glad that you're along. Seacoast, would you welcome all the churches that are joining us uh, this morning? Great. Well, today, I'm going to preach to more people than I've ever preached to with one single sermon, as far as I know. And um, I'm, I'm going to preach on a topic I don't ever remember preaching on. These two are not good together, okay? Normally, you would want to take your best stuff with your largest crowd. But uh, I've wanted to preach this. And let me just say, say this. Do you know that the New Testament says a lot about how churches relate to their pastors and how pastors relate to their churches? I've never preached about that. In fact, um, I work with uh, hundreds of pastors, thousands now, of pastors, mostly young pastors, and uh, this is a message that I wish some old dude would have preached at my church or taught me about when I was the young guy. So this is like 40 years of experience crammed into one message, all right, as it relates to pastors. And uh, so as we're doing that, I want you to think about this. How many of you, at some point in your life, had a pastor that made a big impact on your life. How many of you would say, I had a pastor at some point made a big impact? Okay. Um, I need to acknowledge before we go further that for some of you, honestly, it would be real hard for you to, to answer that in a positive way because you had very, very negative impact by a pastor at some point in your life. Church hurt is real. I acknowledge that. And I wish I could apologize personally to each one of you, uh, as to how maybe a church has hurt you. But overwhelmingly, and there, 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 there are those stories, but overwhelmingly, 
uh, our impact that pastors have made in our lives are huge in a good way. For most of my life, my father was my pastor, at least growing up, my father was my pastor. How would you like to have your father as your pastor? Let's add one piece into that. My father was a national debate champion in high school. Uh, so there was no argument I could win. So you know, he's gonna win the arguments and he's my spiritual leader. You know, But uh, I thank God for him. Because what I learned as a kid growing up is that the guy up on the platform was the same guy that was at home. He acted the same way. That was positive. I remember in college, I had a pastor that preached from the living Bible and offered free food to college students. That was so cool. I chose that church, right? Now, some of you may have gone to college at about the same time I did. That's back right when Noah was getting off the ark. You remember that? And back then, the Bible was the King James Version, not the NJV or NKV. That's what I, NKV, New King Bird. Whatever, whatever. Um, this, is, this is my last service. Okay, give me a little grace. But uh, I had a, a King James Bible. I couldn't understand it, so I didn't read it. And this guy preached from the new, actually it wasn't the new living, it was the living Bible. And he caught grief for it because it wasn't a translation in a college town. It was a paraphrase. But you know what? It drew me into God's word. And I began to have a hunger for God's word and began to read God's word. I thank God for him. I had a pastor who encouraged me to hang in there when I wanted to quit. I had another pastor who told me the best thing for me would be to quit. He was my boss just before he fired me. And, uh, and he told me, that I, I should go back to work for Hewlett Packard because I wasn't cut out for this. You're wrong. <laughs> we did okay. But uh, anyway, he's not here anymore. And I thank God for him. I really do. Uh, most, most times. Uh, but here's, here's, the, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We face a crisis right now in our country as it relates to pastors. Some of you may have read about it on the internet or some of you have seen news shows that have uh, talked about it, but there is a 42% burnout rate for pastors according to a recent survey by the Barna Company. In fact, I think up on the screen, I've got a graphic with that. And here's what they asked. They asked, have you given real serious consideration to quitting being in full-time ministry within the last year? The previous year, there were 29%, and hey, that was huge because it's come from single digits up to 29% in just a few years in the last year, uh, last, over last year. But this year, 42%, huge jump of pastors who say, if I had an opportunity, I would quit. Uh, they asked them, why? Are any of the following reasons why you've considered quitting full-time ministry. And the number one by 56%, 56% said it's the immense stress of the job. And it's a stressful job, and I could talk to you all about why. But we recognize and realize it's not the only stressful job out there. I mean, I have friends. In fact, I got two different correspondents from two different friends this week who own restaurants either here or in another place in the United States. And... Uh, Wow, their, their challenge right now is huge. They wanted me to pray for them. Can't find help, can't find workers and all of that. Um, 
I have friends who are doctors and nurses, and the burnout rate for doctors is, is about 40% right now also. Uh, school teachers, administrators, what have you. There are so many people that right now during these days that are in stressful situations. So what I want to say is pastoring's not the only one, but that's the one I'm going to deal with today. Uh, it's such a crucial issue that there are a lot of people that are studying it right now. Because can you imagine the impact if almost 50% of the pastors in America quit over the next five years? In fact, if you study deeper into the numbers, the younger the pastors get, 45 and below, which is mostly what I deal with, the, 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 the burnout rate is higher. It's almost 50%. Can you imagine? Boston University is studying it right now. Uh, they got a multi-million dollar grant to see what's going on and how it can be fixed. And uh, their early studies say this, that pastors are experiencing high levels of PTSD. In fact, as high or higher than returning combat veterans. It's amazing. Post-pandemic, pastors are feeling stressed, lonely, discouraged, hurting, and overwhelmed. And most pastors don't know where to turn for help, and many churches, studies are finding, are not financially able to provide the help that they need. I want you to think about that. If half the pastors, right now there are other statistics that tell us that Christianity in America is on a downhill trend. Can you imagine if nearly half the pastors, next five years, quit? Well, I want to tell you something. This is how I look at numbers. I don't take numbers as ultimate prophecy. I take numbers as a challenge. And our challenge is to attack that. And I believe that we can make a major dent and a major difference in that situation. Would anybody agree with me on that? You're agreeing with me before I even tell you about some solutions. But in this church, we attack things and we believe that God is greater. Amen? We really do. And so what's the solution? I'm going to pr propose three things from God's word that we can do individually here, Seacoast uh, campuses, wherever you happen to be. Three things that each of us can do. And then at the end, I'm going to propose uh, something that we can do together that will really impact the current crisis that we're going through. So first thing I want to do is just give you a real quick theology of pastoring. What does God say about pastors? And here's the first thing. God says that your pastor is a gift from God. Can we say that out loud together? My pastor is a gift from God. Let's say it again in the, in the churches. My pastor is a gift from God. Thank you very much. Well, let me talk about that just a little bit. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah 3 addresses a crisis that they were having with pastors. They didn't have good ones, okay? They, they had some pastors and shepherds that just were very selfish. They were into themselves. They just weren't very good. And Jeremiah brings a word from God, and he says, there's coming a day when I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. He says, hang in there. It's coming. And then in the New Testament, is kind of a, a beginning of a fulfillment of that prophecy. He says, so Christ himself, this is Ephesians 4, gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so he says, Christ himself, Jesus, gave gifts to the church. One of those is pastors so that the church will be, will be built up and so that the church will be mature. And so your pastor is a gift from God. Here's the second one. Your pastor is a work in progress. We're not going to say that together. <laughs> your pastor is a work in progress. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 says, for we... That's all of us are God's handiwork. The Greek word is poema. You're a poem. You're God's poem. You're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God prepared in advance for each of us to do. And every pastor is in process, is a work in progress. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a work in progress too. Can you do that? Yeah. All right. I didn't ask you to try to get a date. I said, just say, I'm a work in progress. <laughs> so Jesus had an advantage over your pastor. Jesus was fully God and is fully God and fully man. Your pastor is not that. Your pastor is made in the image of God. Sometimes they think they're God, they're not. But they're made in the image of God. But your pastor is fully man, just like you are. And here's the problem. Oftentimes, we make our pastors out to be heroes. Now, pastors should be worthy of being followed, and there's a lot of criteria in God's word about what it takes to qualify to be a pastor, but they're not a superhero. And when we set them up as superheroes, what happens is they, they, they're human, and sometimes they don't live up to it. Sometimes they fail, and then they don't want to share that, and then things get really, really weird. And so here's what we've got to do. We've got to recognize that our pastors are a gift from God, but they are a work in progress. And then by faith, say as Paul says in Philippians 1, 6 about a church, he says, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion under the day of Christ Jesus. And sometimes you need to pray like that about your kids. How many of you realize that? Anybody ever get frustrated with your kids? Anybody ever say, my kid is a real piece of work? Okay. Yeah, he's a piece of work. He or she is in progress. But be confident that God is at work in them and will complete it. And the same is true with pastors. Here's the third thing. Your pastor is worthy of honor. Worthy of honor. Romans 12 and verse 10 says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight. Say take delight. Take delight. It says take delight in what? in honoring each other. I love it when the church does that. I love this church. We do that. Honor is a very high value, but it's not honor up so much as it's honor around and honor down, okay? Because we're to take great delight. Try to outdo each other in honoring one another. We all want to be a part of a group like that. I believe this church does that. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, he goes on and he says, dear brothers and sisters, that's you and I, Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Okay, all right. I'm tired of people coming up to me and saying, hey, what do you do for the other, you know, 39 hours of the week? You're up there for an hour during the week. What do you do with the rest of your time? 
Nothing. <laughs> no. We work hard. I think we work hard. I can tell you what we do, but we work hard. And he says, they work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. You want to do one major thing that would make your pastor's life easier? Live peacefully with each other, okay? All right? That's been really hard over the last two or three years. So here's my question. How do we practically honor our pastors? And this is things that each one of us can do, all right? Here's the first thing, by supporting them, by supporting them. First Timothy 5 and verse 17 says, elders, which means pastors, another translation, who do their work well should be respected and paid well. Can we say paid well together? <laughs> paid well. Let's say it like we mean it. Paid well. All right, good. Some of you are faking it, but it's okay. It's all right. Make it till you make it. Especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. Okay? Paid well. What does that mean? Uh, some translations translate it double honor. It just simply means this. Just be generous. Just be generous to your pastors. I heard about a deacon one time that said, it's God's job to keep them humble and we'll keep them poor. That's not exactly biblical, okay? He says, be generous to them. Now, I'm going to make an admission right here. We haven't always been generous with our pastors at Seacoast. We haven't. And I'm going to, I'm going to use names. Yeah, I got up this morning and looked in the mirror and I was looking at the guy who was responsible for the fact that we haven't always been generous with pastors. Let, let me explain why. When we started this church 34 years ago, um, almost 34 years ago, there were some national scandals that were going on at the time. There were scandals in the business world where CEOs were making just huge salaries and there were multiple times, and I'm not, I'm not making a case that everybody makes the same money, but it was, it was outrageous according to what cultural standards were. And there were some that got caught up in a scandal. There were also churches. In fact, there were two major religious organizations. The year we started our church, right before we started it, and, and uh, well, both of them were just before we started it. And um, they were about a lot of things, but they were also about uh, Christian leaders who were what I call fleecing the sheep rather than feeding the sheep. Okay? They were taking advantage of people financially. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. You're not going to find my name in a newspaper somewhere that I was taking advantage of the church financially. And so I, I just made a, a decision. It wasn't going to happen. And so, and so I, I took a salary. But down through the years, those that were responsible for you know, setting salaries and raises and stuff, I turned down uh, a lot of raises. Now, the way I did it is I got some side hustles. I'm kind of an entrepreneurial type. Anybody else have an entrepreneurial disease? Yeah, it's good and it's not good, okay? And uh, so I got side hustles. I coached basketball for a while. You got to understand, look at me. Do I look like a basketball coach? Huh? Never played it in my life. I was a wrestler, okay? But that's where the money was, and, or at least what I wanted to do. And I wanted my kids to go to a certain school, and so... I, they, they didn't have 
YouTube back then with all the you know videos. And so I went to the library, got checked out books on how to coach basketball. And I coached all the way to the varsity high school level. And uh, I think I did pretty good. Uh, I, uh, th then I started doing real estate side hustles. And I've told you guys about this. I wanted to give money to the church more than I could. And I figured out um, uh, you know, how, to, how to do that. But it didn't just stop with that. I bought multiple houses uh, with um, no money down and flipped them. And yes, I am the reason for the 2008 uh, recession that we went through. People like me who figured that out, all right? But I, I, I did it. Uh, Paul had side hustles. It's not wrong to have a side hustle, you know, but not everybody does that, all right? And so there were, the, so, so here's what happened is companies started benchmarking, outside companies started benchmarking how you pay a pastor. Because how do you, how much is right to pay a pastor, right? And so what they did is they sent out surveys and and uh, all over the United States and started to get better and better at it, where that you had this size, you know, responsibility, this size town, this size church, this part of the United States. Here's the low, and here's the high, and probably you need to just choose somewhere in there. Well, I took great pride whenever I saw one of those surveys. In fact, I'd tell my friends, I'm the guy on the low end of the scale. I'm holding this thing down right here because it because of a fear that I had early on. I was proud of that but there were unintended consequences. And let me tell you what, some of them were. Uh, just a few years ago, we called a company in called Best Christian Workplaces, and they take uh, anonymous surveys of your team to figure out how's the culture, where do we need to work, what can we work on? And I thought, this will be great. I love the culture here, and I do. I love it. I love working with the people we work with. They love me, by and large, they love the church. I just love this place. I thought, we're going to just nail this thing. And we nailed part of it. They loved the vision and leadership and all of that. They hated how much they were paid because I had squashed it down. Here's what I had done. I had asked them, other people, to pay for my convictions. If you're a business leader, think about that just a little bit. I had asked other people to pay for my convictions. We were not honoring and supporting our pastors. Now, this is about the time that Josh and the team uh, took over and we transitioned. And so he made me get in front of the staff and repent. And so I did. And I repented. And we said to them, we said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take about, I think it was five years. We're going to take the next five years and we're going to rectify this. And we're going to bring everybody up. We're going to use these benchmarks. We're going to bring everybody. Now, you're not going to get rich working at Seacoast. You know, there's, we're not going to be at the top end, but we're not going to be at the bottom. And most of them were below the bottom. We're going to be somewhere toward middle, middle, a, a little above middle. And so we were able to, over time, be generous. Be generous. Now, if you're on the finance committee or group or whatever you do at your church, be generous. Be generous. There are benchmarks and do it well. Love your pastors. Be generous. If you're not on the, the committee, there are other ways to be generous. I can remember uh, or at, at our church in Illinois, small church, small farming community. We were all very, very poor, but we had people who would occasionally, you know, give us a gift certificate to go out to eat. I mean, we didn't have date night every week. We had date night once a year, you know, but that kind of thing. But we would, you know, or they'd, they'd give us money to go to a couple's retreat or buy some clothes or, or, or whatever. I can remember uh, sometimes it was a farming community and they would butcher a cow and they would give us part of the meat and we would eat well. 
eat well for a few months. Um, but anyway, there are ways to be generous. Just be generous with, with uh, your leaders. A generous person will prosper, Proverbs eleven twenty five. 25. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The world of the generous, Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 says, gets larger and larger. And the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. So I want my world to be big. I, I repented and uh, we take better care. And, uh, but take care of your, be generous, support your pastors, honor them by supporting them generously. The second thing you can do is befriend them. I didn't say defriend them. There's too much of that going on. Would you agree with that in our world? No, be a friend to your pastors. Proverbs 17 and verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times. How many of you are grateful for a friend that's loved you at all times? He says, and a brother is born for a time of, of adversity. You know, I look back at the friends in my life who loved me at all times. Friends who loved me when I was too young to know what I was doing. <laughs> you know, I was a pastor for the first time of a church, lead pastor at 23 years old. How would you like to have a 23-year-old pastor counseling you on marriage issues when you've been married for 50 years, okay? But I had friends who loved me well. I had friends when I was faced with choices were unpopular, that were unpopular, they loved me. I had friends when I was discouraged and wanted to quit who loved me at all times. Friends who kept me in the game. You know, the second part of that verse says that a brother is born for adversity. And I don't care what you do, whether you're a pastor, business leader, teacher, stay-at-home parent, student, whatever you do, there are going to be times of adversity. I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but you're either coming out of adversity or getting ready to go into adversity, okay? Celebrate where you are. The world goes like this, all right? Sometimes the adversity is just part of the process. Sometimes the adversity is dealing with human nature. If you have an organization that has more than one person, you've got communication problems, okay? How I many of you are married? You can testify that. Don't put your hand up. It's not a good time for that. But you know, I've, I've talked to churches. I've talked to business people who said, you know what? We don't have communication problems in our business. I would say either you are self-employed and it's just you or everybody's dead, okay? Because if you have more than one person, you have communication problems. And in churches, it's really unique. Let me explain it like this. I heard a story about a guy who uh, went uh, on a three-hour cruise and got stranded on an island all by himself for 20 years, okay? This is just a story. 20 years, 20 years on an island by himself. And finally, he gets rescued after 20 years. And he's excited about it, but he wants to show the people around the island that he's on. And so he says, they're showing him around and there's three, three huts there. And they said, well, what's the first hut? And he said, well, that's, that's the house where I live. And they said, well, what's the second hut? And he said, well, that's the church that I attend. They said, well, what's the third hut? That's the church I used to go to. <laughs> Did you get that? Three huts, one person. Okay, yeah. This is how we are. Well, you know, a brother is born for adversity. And sometimes adversity is self-inflicted. And sometimes it has consequences. I was dealing with a pastor this week. Oh, man. I'm just hoping he can save his marriage. Who knows if he'll be in ministry again. But he did something really, really dumb. 
I have a philosophy in life. I'll give you this for free. It's not on my notes. I think you can be successful in life if you'll do four things. If you'll put God first, if you'll treat people right, if you'll work hard, and if you don't do anything stupid, okay? You do those four things and you can be successful. Do three of them and you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And there are times pastors get in trouble, people get in trouble. I remember a public figure uh, who had done something really, really, really dumb. And he questioned why a friend was hanging with him. He said, you don't need to get mixed up in my shame and in my stuff. Why do you do that? And the friend quoted him this verse, the last part, which says, a brother is born for a time of adversity. He said, you know what? I was born for this. And some of you are in situations, maybe, maybe either it's the season of life you're in, or maybe it's difficult relationships, or maybe you've just made a bad choice. There are people, and they may very well be in your small group. They might be on a row next to you right now, that part of the reason they were created was for the adversity that you're in right now. That's how God does it. In the church, we don't walk away. We run too, and we help people. I like to say Everybody needs a friend, even if you've peed in your own pool. You know, and I don't know if you should say that, but I say it. And some people were just born to be the pastor's friend. Not for status, not for what you can get out of it, but for what it means to the kingdom of God. You were a part of keeping them in the game. So you honor your pastors by supporting them, befriending them. And here's a third thing, by encouraging them, by encouraging them. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. Paul says to a church, man, you're doing a good job. You need to do it more. How many of you could use less encouragement? Nobody. We all could use more, couldn't we? And sometimes we're quicker to criticize than encourage. Would you agree with me on that? You know, before you criticize, you need to analyze. Let me give you a couple of things to analyze. When is the last time I encouraged my pastor and fulfilled scripture by really building them up? You ought to have about a 10 to 1 ratio of that. 10, 10 of just really encouraging and one of suggesting. Here's a second thing to analyze. Is criticism even a biblical concept? You know, when I, when I wonder about that, I just Google things. And so this week, that's supposed to be funny. And so this week, I Googled what does the scripture say about encouragement? Okay, And there were tons of them. I Googled, what do the scriptures say about criticism? There were six scriptures. And all of them were the same. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't judge. Don't speak evil against one another. On and on and on. Well, is what I'm saying is that our leaders are above feedback? No, not at all. In fact, you can't make progress without accurate feedback. Uh, in fact, uh, um, one time a few years ago, I had the honor of doing the chapel for the Indianapolis Colts because they were playing the Broncos the first time Peyton Manning, who used to play for them, came back and played. And I'm a Bronco fan. Even with a horrible game this week, I'm a Bronco fan. But um, so I thought I was doing the Broncos chapel. And I ended up doing the Indianapolis chapel. That's a whole nother, it's a whole nother thing. But anyway, one of my friends was one of the coaches there. And he introduced me to Reggie Wayne, who was their all-pro receiver. And he told me about Reggie, who's now, I think, um, Hall of Fame. 
He said, uh, Reggie comes to the practice at the beginning of the season, and he says to us, don't coach me like a rookie. Or don't coach me like an all-pro. Coach me like a rookie. That's what he says. Because he craves feedback. There's a difference between feedback and criticism. One seeks to correct and restore, and the other seeks to embarrass and destroy. I crave feedback. In fact, this message had feedback three times. Feedback, and it helped the message to be better. Uh, But I, I don't want criticism. I choose who I'll receive feedback from. They need to, number one, know me. You know, if if you don't know me, you really can't give valid criticism and feedback. Uh, But there are some people that know me. The second question is, are they for me? Because there are some people that know me and aren't for me, okay? This is for you guys too, right? And the third one is, are they willing to help me? You know, you may know me and you may be for me, but you're not willing to help me. If you are, then give me feedback. If not, I'm really not that interested in what you have to say. Does that make sense? And so you earn the right to give feedback. You have a biblical responsibility to give encouragement. Everybody needs more encouragement. Would you like to have more encouragement? How many of you would like more encouragement? All right, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. Uh, A few years ago, I, I just really owned the fact that one of my gifts is a gift of encouragement. If you need somebody to hold you accountable, you need an Enneagram 8, okay? That's not who I am. I'll help you, but I won't, I won't hold you that, that close to accountability. But if you need encouragement, I'm your man. And so I said to God, I said, God, for the rest of my life, I want to use my gift to encourage as many people as I can. And so I started giving my phone number away, actually my text number, you can't call this, but you can text it, my text number away to pastors. And I've got uh, almost 800 pastors that I encourage every week, twice a week, Uh, with just 400 characters, I'm limited to that, 70 words, 20 seconds. So they get 40 seconds of encouragement from me every week. And I decided since I'm preaching this week, I'm opening it up to everybody. So if you guys would like to get 40 seconds, you could use 40 seconds of encouragement, there's a QR code on the screen. Let me walk you through it, all right? Here we go. This is for everybody. Get your phone, got your phone? Get Get the camera app out, okay? Get the camera app out, all right? Focus it on the QR code. At some point, there will be a little link in there. Click on the link. It will take you to a contact. It's my contact, all right? Agree to have my contact in your contacts, and then there will be a pre-written text that says, I'm in, encourage me, hashtag encouragement. Just send that. If you'll send that, then I'll send you an encouragement on Wednesday. I call it No Worry Wednesdays. And on Sunday... And uh, maybe every once in a while, a little something extra if it comes, and it's all me, it's not somebody else doing it. But uh, I want to encourage you, all right? I want to encourage you. So if the tide is going to continue to rise, we've got to take care of our pastors. Every pastor needs to be supported. They need to be uh, 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 befriended, and they need to be encouraged. We each have a responsibility for that. But I told you at the beginning, I was going to give you an immediate crisis that we need to address together. Something that I believe we can address together to impact the immediate crisis of pastor burnout that we're in right now. Because pastors are drowning in a rising tide of stress and loneliness, polarization in their churches. We became acutely aware of that when one of our own, Darren Patrick, took his own life early during the COVID 
uh, epidemic pandemic, and it was devastating to all of us. I began to ask myself questions. Why is this happening? Because his was not a solitary incident, but not certainly not everyone who's discouraged takes their own life. Why are they discouraged? What can we do? Is it preventable? Is there anything that I can do about it? And so we began to formulate a plan. And let me give you the plan. One is a retreat, uh, an immediate four-day stress reliever in a beautiful spirit-filled environment. And God provided us 66 acres of what I call low country magic, just 30 minutes from downtown Charleston, which is the greatest city in the world, by the way. And uh, just 45 minutes from where we're sitting right here in Mount Pleasant campus. And we call it the retreat at Church Creek. Why do we call it that? Because it's a retreat and it just happens to sit on Church Creek. Amazing, huh? Amazing how God orchestrated that. And then pastors and leaders enjoy nature and fishing and exercise and guilt-free naps. How of you could use a guilt-free nap every once in a while? And then every evening, we process our pain and what we're learning, and we receive the healing that only God can bring. It has been amazing. We've, we've hosted almost 800 pastors and leaders in the last few months, and the testimonies are great. I'm going to give you a couple testimonies in a minute. Second part of the process is relationship. They come in feeling alone in the struggle and they leave with a band of brothers and sisters to take the journey with. We're very intentional in our approach to fostering relationship and it's amazing. It happens so very quickly. And then the third thing is resources. We know that reversing the crisis we face takes longer than 72 hours together. And so we're creating some amazing partnerships and resources that will provide counseling and coaching for pastors over the next 12 months following the retreat. I want, I want you to see just a few testimonies. I asked some guys, don't make it fancy. Just take your phone and tell us how you feel after the retreat. I had the opportunity to attend a pastor's retreat down in Church Creek in South Carolina with Pastor Greg Seraph. And uh, going into the retreat center, I, I felt like I was alone, just a, a lot of problems, a lot of things that I really didn't have anybody to talk to. And I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to quit, um, not knowing what direction to go when it comes to ministry. As I was on my way, walking out to the docks, honestly, I broke down. Uh, I didn't even realize the weight that I had on me. I just felt like I was doing ministry alone. Didn't know how much longer I wanted to do this. The very first day I told my wife, I'm not 100% sure why I'm here, but I know God has me here for a reason. And boy, I wasn't wrong. And I found exactly what I believe God has for pastors, a group that they can unload on. It was great time together with guys from around the country doing the same thing that I do. To let our hair down, to get real, to relax, to laugh. I cannot tell you how many divine appointments I've had this week. It has been overwhelming. I got rid of some insecurities that I was holding on to. And I realized then that I don't have to do ministry alone. I point back to that time that I spent at the retreat at Church Creek. This is something that I believe every pastor ought to be a part of uh, just for their own soul. Our church is better as a result of it. I'm better as a result of it. Really is life changing. And we cannot thank you enough for your investment into the retreat at Church Creek. Thank you so much. Your generosity is truly making a difference. Thanks so much. Know you're truly impacting churches and we're so grateful. Thank you. Isn't that good? And there are hundreds more. 
Let me talk just for a minute to the churches that are watching with us online today. Thank you for being here. And thank you for loving your pastors. Thank you for supporting them. Thank you for sending them. In fact, I encourage you to do it every year, every couple of years at least. Be their friend. They need you. I'm going to pray for you now, and then I'm going to turn the service back to you. And it might be a good time for all of us just to recommit ourselves to the principles that we've talked about today. And maybe if your pastor's there, just to pray for them. But let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful group that is gathered today here and in campuses of Seacoast and then in churches all over America and around the world. God, we're grateful to you for the gifts that you give, the gift of our pastors. Lord, help us to love them, to serve them, to honor them. Lord, to encourage them. God, we're grateful to them. And I pray that your kingdom would come in their lives and in our churches all around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.